My name is Jasmine Denton. I'm one of your pastors here. And this is part seven of a series called Promises. And for the last six weeks, we have challenged and invited our church to answer one question. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? And not just trust God and like, I trust that God is going to keep the planets in orbit. I trust that the oceans are not going to dry up this afternoon. All of those things are well out of our power to control. And so we're more than happy to trust God to do those things. But I am asking you today, do you trust God with those things that are most precious to you? Do you trust God with your one precious life and those things that you hold dear? Do you trust God with your kids in that situation they're going through at school? Do you trust God with your marriage? Do you trust God with that decision that you're having to make? Do you trust God with your dreams and your desires? Do you trust God with that cancer diagnosis? Do you trust God with that chronic illness? Do you trust Him with the things that are near and dear to your heart? not just the things that are out there. And so this whole series, we have asked you to entertain the idea that you will never consistently submit to a God you don't completely trust. You will never consistently submit to a God you don't completely trust. And we want you to trust this God. We want you to submit to this God because see, when you know God, and you submit to His will, when you are living in alignment with His will, that's where you experience all the fullness of the promises that we've been looking at. That is where you find fullness of joy. That is where you find rest and peace and contentment. It is when you completely trust God and your hands are off and His hands are on that we know that that is where you're going to find the abundant life that Jesus offers to us. And for the last six weeks, Matt has had us open scripture together. He has challenged us to look into the stories that we find within its pages that prove that God is trustworthy, that prove that He is faithful, that He is truthful, that He always follows through, that He will never leave us, that He will never abandon us. These six weeks, we have seen that He can be trusted. God can be trusted. We know this. But just because we know that He can be trusted, it doesn't mean that we do. Just because you know God can be trusted doesn't mean that you actually trust Him. You see, trust is something that's built over time. Trust is something that's built in relationship. Trust is built in knowing someone. You see, you will never completely trust a God you don't intimately know. You will never completely trust a God you don't intimately know. And how do I know that? 
because I know relationships. I'm a person. I know what it takes to trust someone, right? I know the more I get to know someone, the better I know what I can trust that person with. The more I get to know someone, the more I might find out that person is not trustworthy. I wouldn't ask that person to take out my garbage, much less ask them to do something that was really important to me. But sometimes the more you get to know someone, the more you trust that person and especially trust that person with something that is really important to you, something that's precious to you, something like your kids. You wouldn't just leave your kids with anybody, right? You're pretty picky about who you entrust your kids to. Well, when I was pregnant with our first child, Judah, uh, I was a full-time teacher. I was teaching elementary school and I was kind of wrecked with anxiety about where we were gonna put this baby when I had to go back to work. Because our family lives far away. They live hours away. We didn't have like a built-in family childcare situation. But one day, my friend, Sananda, Sananda McGee, our kids pastor, she said, hey, Jasmine, you know that when you have this baby, I'm gonna keep him for you while, when you go back to work. And I was like, yes, please, and thank you, because I knew her. I had spent time with her. I'd spent time with her family and in her home. I knew the way that she respected her husband. I saw the way that she loved her kids. I knew the way that she honored her friends. The more I got to know Sananda, the more I trusted her. So by the time that I left my child with her, I was happy to do it. I was happy to let my baby go into her home because I knew her and I trusted her with my precious son. Even though it was so hard to go back to work, it was so easy to let him go to her house every day. The more you get to know someone, the more you will know whether or not you can trust them. And the wise King Solomon, the wisest king of Israel, he knew this too. He saw that connection between knowing and trusting. And we've looked at this scripture a couple of times in this series. I want us to look at it again. In Proverbs chapter three, verse five, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, know him and he will make your paths straight. That verse six, where it says, and in all your ways, know him. Sometimes it's translated, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Or in all your ways, submit to him. But that Hebrew word there is yada. And our church knows this word. Matt taught this word to us back in December. Yada means to intimately know. Often in scripture, when we see this word, it's in a sentence like this. Adam, yada, knew his wife Eve and they conceived and she gave birth to a son. He, yada, knew Eve. It's an intimate knowing. 
You see, the connection between trusting someone and knowing someone isn't just a head knowledge. It's a heart knowing. It's a knowing up close. And so as we pursue this up close knowing, I do need to give us one little piece of warning, one, one friendly reminder, which you might find odd, but it's well-placed. As we pursue intimacy with God, sometimes we call it a friendship with God, and that is good, because we saw Abraham and Moses both called friends of God. But when we're pursuing friendship with God, it's a reverent friendship. It is, it's a friendship that I know who he is, and I know who I am. When we are in a friendship with God, when we're in an intimate relationship with God, we are well aware of who He is and who we are not. If we find our place trying to pursue an intimate relationship with God that finds us elevated, that finds us self-righteous, we're not pursuing an intimate relationship with God, we're pursuing a, a platform and a place for ourselves. okay? Because we know that when we are pursuing this intimate relationship with God, this friendship and closeness with God, it does not elevate us to His level, it aligns us with His will, okay? Now again, you might think, this is a weird thing to say, Jasmine, I know that I'm not God. And we might've thought Adam and Eve knew that too, because they were created by God, they met with God regularly, he, he lived in their presence, or they lived in his, let's be real about the direction that goes in. But if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter three, I wanna show you that it is important that we understand when we're pursuing intimacy with God that what we are not trying to do is elevate ourselves to his level. In Genesis chapter three, we see Eve talking to the serpent. And he has said, like, why can't you eat from that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And she's like, well, because God, God said we can't. If we do, we'll die. We pick up with verse four. He says, no, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The serpent made it seem like equality with God was literally within their reach. Though he knew better than anybody else that no such elevation was possible because he also had tried to reach for equality with God and he got cast out of heaven. Adam and Eve reached for equality with God and they were banished from the garden. You see, Eve saw that this reach was good and delightful and desirable. And isn't it, isn't power and self-sufficiency and independence, isn't that always something that seems desirable? We wanna, we wanna be able to stand on our own two feet. I wanna be able to provide for myself. 
I don't want to have to depend on anybody else. That always seems desirable and good. But if that's what we're reaching for, we are certainly not reaching for intimacy with God. Adam saw this reach and he didn't protest and their grab at equality severed this intimate relationship with God. It established a distance that did not previously exist. You see, in relationships, distance creates limitations. In relationships, distance creates limitations. When you are far away from someone, it is so difficult for us to clearly see or hear or understand what somebody is doing. Distance is deceiving. When I was in high school, church league softball was getting ready to start up. And I know, you, know, you do play church league sports. Church league softball is getting ready to start up. So my parents took us out to the local softball field, me and my sisters, to have a little bit of practice before our first game. My dad, my parents, my family, they're incredible athletes. I'm okay. Okay, let's just say that. So my dad is standing at home plate. He has a bat and a ball, and he's gonna, you know, hit, hit balls out into the field, and we're going to field them. I don't know all the words. I just played. So I am standing out about center field, and he yells out to me, Jasmine, get ready. I was like, I am. <laughs> He said, no, get ready. Put your glove on your eye. It's like, what? I've seen a lot of baseball and softball games in my life. I ain't never seen anybody with a glove over their eye. But it was a sunny day and I thought, well, maybe he doesn't want me to get blinded by the sun and so I can see the ball better. So standing out in the outfield and I put my glove on my eye. I want to obey my father. I want to do what he says. And he is saying, put your glove on your eye. So here I am. He says, no, put your glove on your eye. It's like, I am. <laughs> he puts the bat and the ball down and he walks all the way out to center field. He gets about five feet from me and he looks at me and he says, Jasmine, put your glove on your thigh. <laughs> he wanted me to get ready. He wanted me to be ready for what was coming. He was telling me the position that I needed to be in in order to get ready for what was going to happen to me. But because I was not close enough to him, I could not hear him. So many times in our relationship with God, we are looking at him and saying, God, I wish you would be more clear. And he's saying, I wish you would be more close. I wish you would be more close. So often our inability to trust God is not about a lack of clarity from God, but is a lack of closeness. God is always clear. He is always clear, but sometimes he's quiet and we need to be close to know what he is doing, to yada know him. And in fact, this distance is a really important thing to God. It's the first question that he asks in scripture. If you want to pick back up with verse eight in Genesis chapter three, it says, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. God calls out to us, where are you? Where are you? This was not a question about geography. This was a question about their heart. Where are you in relation to me? He knew that distance was there. He's asking you, do you know what's there? Do you know how far you are from me? Do you know what is separating me from you? There's so much in the way. There are so many distractions that keep us from seeing and hearing and understanding God that sometimes we can even forget that he's there. And just like that was the ploy of the enemy then to get us separated from God, it's his same tactic now is to get whatever, by whatever means possible for you to be separated from God. C.S. Lewis in his book, Screwtape Letters, that chronicles the letters from a senior demon to a junior demon, brilliant book, by the way, highly recommend. He's talking about how to get this human person separated from the enemy, God, he says this, but do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. There is so much interference and most of it we choose. Most of what is between you and God, you have chosen. We have chosen. We have chosen to read the book series instead of reading the Bible. We have chosen the Netflix news documentary. We have chosen the podcast. We've chosen the news. We've chosen the wine. We've chosen the website. We've chosen the Instagram. We've chosen the TikTok binge. We have chosen our distance from God. But if within you there is even just a spark of desire, just a spark of a want, a hunger to know God, to be close to him, I have good news for you. If distance creates limitations, yes, that's true. But intimacy comes at God's invitation. Intimacy comes at God's invitation. This is what he wants. He demonstrates his desire to be near us by from Genesis to Revelation, making a way to us. At first, this looked like him walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. After the exodus from Egypt, when they were oppressed and enslaved and God rescued them, it looked like a tabernacle in the wilderness. God told Moses that they are to make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. That's his desire is to dwell among his people. It's so much his desire that a tabernacle wasn't enough. A temple wasn't enough. He sent his own son, God in flesh. The word became flesh to dwell among us. 
God wants to dwell among his people. It's what he wants. It's what he desires. And he gives us a way and he gives us the word so that we can see the way. The way is Jesus. We know this verse probably from somewhere in like pre-K. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have seen me, then you will know the Father. We know God because we can know Jesus. We know God through Christ. And scripture is littered with this invitation and promise that if you seek me, you will find me. Jeremiah 29 verse 12 says, you will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Paul, he says the same thing when he's in Athens and he's telling these people who don't know that they know God. He's saying all of these things, look around you, God has done so much to point you to him. We'll pick up in Acts 17 verse 26. It says, from one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. There is this invitation throughout scripture for us to draw near to God, to seek him and a promise that if we do, he will meet us there. He has made every way possible for us to know him, for us to be with him. A scripture that we've looked at several times and I wanna do it again, not to belabor a point, but you need to see this in front of your eyes. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19 says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Sending Jesus, his son, to demonstrate his love for us through death on a cross, to atone for our sins, to justify us freely by his grace through the redemption that only comes in Christ Jesus. That is the way that he has made for you to know him. That's how much he wants to be with you, that he would give the thing that's most precious to him, to us. All of this, it's an invitation. All of this is a demonstration of God's love for us, a desire to be known by us and to be near to us. I mean, one of his names is Emmanuel. Come on, you know it. What does it mean? God with us. That is his name. That is who he is. He is God with us. Invitation or intimacy comes at his invitation. 
here's some good news, as if it all weren't good news. Anything that God desires is always possible. Anything God desires is always possible. He desires to be near you. He desires for you to draw near to him, which means it is possible. So how do we do it? How do we draw near to God? How do we know God in this intimate way? Knowledge and nearness. It's the same way that you get to know anybody. You get to, or that you grow intimate with anybody. You get to know that person and you get near that person. Those two ways, there's two ways. This is not exhaustive, but it's pretty all-encompassing. Through scripture and prayer, you will come to know God. Through scripture and prayer, you can enter in to an intimate relationship with your heavenly father. You see, there's a significant connection between scripture and prayer. Scripture is the way that we come to know God and prayer is how we draw near to him. In scripture, we learn God's word and in prayer, we learn his voice. Scripture is the pathway to knowledge. The Bible is how we know about God. It's, about, it's how we know about his character, his movement, his promises, his will, the way that he created us and the way that he has interacted with humanity over time. It's the story of God. We cannot know God apart from his word. It's in the Bible that God tells us in his own words who he is. You cannot not Read, you cannot not get into this scripture. Y'all, there are not enough podcasts, sermons, Instagram reels, Christian lifestyle books, Instagram influencers, Bible commentary, seminary classes to effectively replace your need to open God's word for yourself to see what it says. All of those things are good things, okay? I have used every single one to learn better, to understand God better. But all of it is a supplement to Scripture and not a replacement for it, okay? But it's intimidating, right? I mean, this is a fairly gigantic book, right? Okay, and maybe you don't love to read. Maybe you don't know where to start. Maybe you've tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed. And you're just like, look, I'm just gonna listen to some good sermons and hope for the best. Y'all, we have a church filled with leaders and teachers who love you, who love the Lord and would love nothing more than to sit alongside you and help you understand scripture. Amen. We have classes open right now that are Bible studies and an invitation for you to learn how to study the Bible while you're reading the Bible with other people, community groups with leaders who are sitting you around a table full of people who know more than you and some who don't know as much as you. And you all need to be sitting at that table to open God's word together. Vintage students every single Sunday night, opening God's word together with capable leaders to say, this, this is what this means. This is how you encounter God's word. I know it's intimidating, but we, have, we, we wanna make it easier for you. You just have to do it. 
Scripture also is so important because Scripture is what shapes our prayers and prayers are how we draw near to God. Prayer is our pathway to, to nearness to God. You see, prayer doesn't start with a word, but a mindset. Prayer doesn't start with what you say. Prayer starts with you knowing who you're talking to, who you are in relationship with. When Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, that's where he began from, was a place of intimacy. He said, our Father who is in heaven. He said, remember who you're talking to. This is not some distant formal father. This is your Abba, your dad. You're in a relationship with someone who loves you, with someone who is good and who wants good things for you. When you know scripture and you understand who you're talking to, it changes the way you pray. Paul tells us in Philippians that we not only should pray, but we should pray about everything. He says this in Philippians chapter four, verse six, you know this, because you probably have it like crocheted on a pillow. It says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. But we often miss the tiny little sentence that comes right before it. It's what makes it possible for us to be anxious for nothing and pray about everything. Philippians 4, the end of verse five says, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. That's why we can draw close to him because he's here he is Emmanuel, God with us. Praying to him is an act of trust. But it's easier to trust somebody when you know they're close by. If what we ask for tells us something about what we desire, and we saw that what God asked in Genesis was where are you, what God desired was to be close, what we ask for in prayer is telling us something about what we desire. It's telling God about what we desire. There's a man in scripture named David who was a shepherd and then a warrior and a king. He was also a poet and a fierce prayer. And for all of his faults and terrible failures, he was called a man after God's own heart. And so if there's anybody that I wanna learn to pray from, it's from somebody who's called the man after God's own heart because that's what I wanna be. I wanna be somebody who is after the heart of God. And he gives us a peek into what he desires, what he has asked from the Lord. Psalm 27 verse four says, I have asked one thing from the Lord and it is what I desire. Now, he was the king. He could have asked for anything. He could have been coming to God on behalf of the nation because of a battle, anything. But here's what he says. I've asked one thing from the Lord, and it's what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. If you jump down to verse eight, he says, my heart says this about you. 
Seek his face. Lord, I will seek your face. God, that's what I desire more than anything is to be in your presence, to know you, to trust you. David understood that connection between trusting and knowing too. Because he said in Psalm 9:10, he says, Those who know your name trust in you because you have not abandoned those who seek you, Lord. Those who know you, they trust you because they've seen your track record. They know you're dependable. Those who know you trust you because you always make good on your promise. To know God is to trust God. And we want you to draw near. Y'all, more than anything, there is nowhere I would rather be than in the presence of God. And I want a lot of things. (laughs) But that thing has to come first. And I know that in His presence, that's, that's where I've found everything. That's where I've found my joy and my peace and my contentment. And so much of what is plaguing us right now is a lack of all of those things. Another psalmist said, better is one day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a doorkeeper at the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of God than to go somewhere that is much more comfortable but away from his presence. What are you asking God for? What is your heart's desire? Maybe it's something as simple as God, I choose you. Over every other option, I choose you. I read that in a, in a book and it wasn't even the most profound thing that I read, but I was like, man, that is so true. God, I want that to be true of me that I choose you over every other option. And maybe you're somebody in here and you could say, Jasmine, I have this intimate relationship with God. I know him, I love him. I have seen his beauty in the sanctuary. I love him so much. Moses, he was called friend of God. In Exodus 33, it describes how Moses would go into the tent of meeting at the outside of the camp and he would meet face to face with God. And God would speak to him as a friend speaks to a friend. You would think that that would satisfy somebody to get to be in the presence of God, to be called his friend, but it did. You know what Moses did? He said, God, show me your glory. I get to see you face to face, but I want more because the more I know, the more I want. But maybe you're here and you're like, okay, I don't know this Jesus, but I wanna draw near. Listen, he has made every way for you this morning. And all you have to do is say, Jesus, I want it. What you have to offer, I want it. I'm very well aware of all of my shortcomings and all of my failures, please forgive me. I wanna draw near to you. That's the way we do it. James, he tells us, he says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. And he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Repent, confess, draw near to me. I want to be near you. 
That is what God wants more than anything else. He wants to be with you. He is waiting to be wanted by you, by you. Like He really wants to be wanted by you. And here's something else that I'm learning. God comes where He's wanted. My friends, He comes where He's wanted. We have seen it. We have seen this all over our social media feeds. We have seen the way that He's showing up at universities like Asbury. We've seen the way that He's showing up in prayer rooms in Kalamazoo, in Turkey, in Syria. We've seen it. He comes where He's wanted. What do you want? Do you want to draw near? Do you want Him to draw near to you? We have a few minutes before we're gonna sing another song. But I don't want it to just be another song. I don't want it to just be another, okay, it's time to stand up and sing another song. It's going through the motions. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We have some time and some space right now for you to put your phone down, for you to forget who you're sitting beside and to remember and to be aware that you are in the presence of the almighty God who wants you, who is waiting to be wanted. What do you want? We have some leaders in our midst who are, you know who you are, who are gonna line the walls of the auditorium. If you want somebody to pray with you in this moment, go ask somebody. But we're gonna keep these altars open for you to just come and kneel in the presence of God, for you to bow your knee to the King, for you to say, to stake your claim here once and for all, I seek you. I want you more than anything else. I want to be in your presence all the days of my life. And it might feel uncomfortable because I'm not gonna be talking and there's not gonna be words on the screen and something for you to do but God is waiting on you to make a move. God, we know you are moving. May our hearts move to meet yours in this space. Lord, hear our prayer, amen.